Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the Musings of a Minor Fan podcast for the year 2023 and the very first uh, since the World Cup and the resumption of the Premier League or resumption of football in England as it were. So you're all welcome, thank you for tuning in, thank you for checking out my podcast. Um, um, the Musings of a Minor Fan podcast has been on break since the World Cup after the World Cup and the Premier League resumed, uh, I did not do any podcasts um, concerning my United games as I decided to take some time off to focus on other uh, important things that are dear to me, my family, my work, my education. So um, it's been it's been tight, but I decided to take a break. And even in the new year, I've not done any podcast up until now. And it's good to be back. And I'm fired up. I'm gingered. I'm excited because of my latest performances of late, which I'll get into in this podcast in general. But welcome to the first podcast of the year. Hopefully, this will be a great journey for us, my other fans, and any other neutral who is not exactly a follower of or a fan of Manchester United. Anyway, um, on this podcast, I'll be talking about Manchester United's performance last night against Everton at Old Trafford. We played the third round of the FA Cup against Everton and we won the game by three goals to one. I would say it wasn't the best of performances for Manchester United. We went terrible. Uh, we were decent uh, for major part of the game and the stats actually um, tells its own story. I think we had more possession than Everton, twice as much possession than Everton, had more attempts on goal than Everton, I think 16 to 8, if I'm not mistaken, 16 shots uh, I guess Everton and Everton had only 8, so we were, much, we were the better side but Everton put in a good performance. And it is clear that Everton is uh, playing for the manager, uh, trying to um, salvage his career with Everton, which I think is almost at an end. I believe that he might survive this game with Manchester United, but Everton's next game is against Southampton, and if they lose that, then I think Lampard will be fired because what's the point? Southampton is also struggling. And if they are able to defeat Everton, then there's no point keeping Lampard in the job. I think they should just get another manager. And I think personally, the Everton team is a very good one. Individually, the players are quite good. They have lots of strength in that. I just think that Lampard is not good enough for a, even a club like Everton. You could argue that maybe Chelsea, the Chelsea job was uh, too big for him early in his career but this Everton job looks like the perfect job for a man like Lampard to build his career and build his CV unfortunately he has been woeful the, he struggled last season albeit he was not in charge for most of the season he came to he, he the Everton was obviously involved in a relegation battle and they survived very well um you would expect that they would kick on this season and be in at least in middle table or at least in the top eight teams in the Premier League with the caliber of players they have in their squad and with some of the signs they made over the summer. But 
it's been getting going from bad to worse for everything and I won't be surprised if they sack Lampard tomorrow or if they sack him I guess Southampton I mean after the Southampton game if they end up losing that game and so I digress it's a digression about um, Everton's challenges and the fate of Frank Lampard Frank Lampard is a likable fellow speaks very well very respectful um, expresses his opinions um, beautifully but this is a results business and if you don't perform well you get sacked many coaches in the premier league will not get the rope lampard has been afforded by everton because and i think it is because of his reputation um as a former england legend or superstar and former chelsea legend who was a great player you know in his playing days but obviously a manager who is not up to scratch I think his level is in the lower leagues, not in the Premier League. He's he's lucky, and maybe I would say um, privileged um, to get the kind of jobs he'll be getting. If you look at it, his job as um, Chelsea boss, and now his his job as Everton boss as well. I think he has been lucky. Um, in getting some of these jobs without really proving himself or showing anything um, in his career to suggest that uh, or in his past to suggest that he is up to the job you know he was a coach of derby for one season and he got promoted to coach Chelsea and now Everton and he has been apart from the derby where apart from the county where he did reasonably well without actually winning promotion to the Premier League. He has been good. I mean, he has been, rather, he has been average at best for Chelsea. He wasn't as bad. Chelsea wasn't as bad as Everton Earl. And Chelsea then were not as bad as they are right now under Potter. But um, I think this job, this Everton job, is more of a reflection of the level of Lampard as a football manager. Because the Everton team is a good team on an individual level getting them to play as a team on the other hand is a different ball game and that is where he has failed sometimes they are mean in the defense sometimes they are woeful in the defending against brighton in the last game they were, the defender was terrible and atrocious they were well organized against city and they were well organized today i mean last night against uh, manchester United at old trafford but i think they have problems in the attack and keeping their concentration because um, the results have not been good for the kind of players they have uh, in their arsenal. So enough about Lampard, I'm actually talking about, I'm more interested in Manchester United, but I felt I should talk about Frank Lampard's struggles with Everton and to put some context to this game as well because my United did not, were not at their flowing best as they normally are, I guess Everton. Uh, at the FA Cup. Uh, we started well, we scored uh, in the fourth minute through Anthony, um, but um, a, a sloppy mistake from David Dijab put Everton back into the game with Kodakodi equalising, um, tapping from an, into an empty net after Dijab inexplicably allowed the ball to go through his legs and failing to react to make up, you know, to um, cover for his mistake. You know, so 
I don't I don't understand why the girl was so sloppy for that goal, but everybody came back and it was difficult for Man United to get going. We missed a few chances after that, but everything gave us a game, made it difficult for us, frustrated Manchester United. And in the second half, though, um, we looked at Cody, put the ball in his own, and after good work from Rashford on the left wing. And it was, we, we, we had possession, but we're not really creating enough chances, in my opinion. Um, and everything, we're always dangerous on the break. And one of the bricks paid off for them, even though in the end, the equalizer was rolled off offside because of uh, the Marai Grace run was too quick. And eventually, uh, we were able to get the third goal that killed off the game uh, in stoppage time. After good work from Alejandro Ganacho being fouled by Ben Godfrey and Radford talking in the penalty coolly and majestically. So, 3-1 to Manchester United, great goals from Manchester United, um, an okay performance, but um, we've seen better performances from Manchester United overall. I think um, a defeat might be on the horizon based on how we've been playing. Um, I, I watched the game against Bournemouth. Um, we, I think we considered too many chances to Bournemouth, causing Didier to make um, several world-class saves. Um, and I think the games in which we did very well um, were against Burnley, against Wolves, against Nottingham Forest. I think we did very well in those games. Uh, we didn't allow the opposition to get too many chances. And we had to kept clean sheets in all of them. Uh, against Bournemouth, we also kept a clean sheet, but we, I think, we considered too many chances to Bournemouth, and uh, I think those were the warning signs. I feel that um, with Manchester City coming next week Saturday at lunchtime, um, it will be a reality check for us, my United fans. But so far, so good. We've been doing well. This is actually our 14th victory in 17 games, and this is our seventh straight victory. Um, it's been a long time we've been on this run and I hope it continues um, next week with Charlton coming to Old Trafford in the Carabao Cup. We should be able to win that game and then we'll take Con City um, Manchester on Saturday at lunchtime. I think that will be a true test of where we are at the moment. If we avoid defeat against City and Arsenal and manage to get at least four points for those two games, then I believe we may have turned a corner. But but we wait and see. Uh, right now, these teams that have been defeating in recent times, Nottingham Forest, Burnley, um, Overhampton Wanderers, Bournemouth, Everton, these are games you'd expect us to win anyways, especially the games against Burnley, Nottingham Forest, Wolves, Bournemouth. Against Everton, well, Everton have been difficult opponents at Old Trafford. They've been very good at frustrating us. And um, most of the last the last two, three games that we've played at Old Trafford have ended in draws, actually, with Everton. And um, it's, it's nice that we're able to break that um, run of draws at Old Trafford. We've been good. Uh, we've been very good at Goodison Park, even though last season we lost. And I think, um, I think two seasons before, 
or so we lost by four goals to zero uh, but we've been getting results regularly positive results at Goodison Park uh, we won 3-1 we've won 2-0 in the I think in the Carabao Cup and we've won 2-1 this season already so we've been getting results at Goodison Park but at Old Trafford they've been able to uh, frustrate us and get uh, draws you know so I think it's a good one for Manchester United that we are able to end that run of draws and of course personally I wasn't carried away by our performances against teams like Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth and Burnley because um, I expected Everton, the Everton game, even though they're in, in a bad place at the moment, to give us a game because it's clear that they're playing for Frank Lampard. Uh, Frank Lampard set up his squad uh, in the game against Manchester United at Old Trafford to frustrate Man United and try to hit United on the break using the Mariah Gray as an outlet. And for on several occasions, it looked like working for them. And with, if not for the offside, we might be staring at a replay, uh, you know, at maybe Goodison Park or at Old Trafford. I don't know, but there would have been a replay, you know, if we hadn't, um, if that goal had not been overturned by VAR. So I think we've been lucky um, with VAR of recent um, coming to our rescue. I guess Bournemouth, we considered an equalizer, which was overturned for offside. Um, and again in this game, another equalizer which was overturned for offside. So, um, as long as we keep getting these uh, lucky calls, I'm all for it. But again, um, I think my United have done well since the resumption of football after the World Cup. We've done very well. Um, but these are things that you would expect us to beat. And again, on the flip side, you have to look at it um, from the perspective that last season and a few seasons under Ole, um, some of these games ended in draws. Some of these games with teams like Bournemouth, um, Everton, Wolves ended in draws, you know, or even defeats like we saw last season. Everton defeated us at Goodison Park 1-0. When, we, and when they were also on the poor run and they were battling relegation and they defeated us and we couldn't even you know do anything to to salvage that game or even win that game so um, there are many games like this that we've been winning of recent, in recent times against Fulham uh, before the uh, before the World Cup the last game before the World Cup um, began whereby we Ganato scored that late winner. Games like that in previous seasons would have ended in a draw, but we've managed to either grab a win or even salvage a draw, like in the game against Chelsea, where we drew 1-1 at Stanford Bridge. So games that would have ended in defeats or losses, we've managed to salvage something out of the game. And that is the difference between this season and last season. And Manchester United's Marcus Rashford is in fine form. And this is in direct contrast to what we saw last season. And many people are arguing if Marcus Rashford should be considered world class. I would say Marcus Rashford is on a good run of form, is undergoing a purple patch. And 
you don't see Mbappe having a whole year of poor performances. We've never seen it since he busted to the scene, you know. Where players like Messi, Ronaldo, um, Zlatan, Neymar, they don't go one year, one and a half years, six months, having a poor run of form, you know. You don't see that happening. They're always involved. They, they may have the off game, quiet game here and there, but they've been, they are usually consistent in their performances. And those are the players you consider world class. Neymar, Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo, all these players are world class. And Rashford is a very good player, but I don't think he's in that conversation yet. He has, I think he has to continue like this for two, three years before we begin to consider him to be world class. At the moment, I suspect he's in expressing a purple patch. At the moment, he hits a dry spell. Many of us or many of the fan base who are anti-Rashford will come out of the closet and begin to slate him for being poor, for being useless, for being this and that, you know. So I think whatever Rashford is doing, I think he should continue. As long as he's doing the right thing, making the right decisions, knowing when to pass, knowing when to cross, knowing when to cut in, knowing when to shoot, I think he'll be fine. That's what I feel um, as regards Michael Rashford. So, overall, I want to talk about the game. Uh, I've shared my thoughts on the game. We went very good. We went very bad either. I think for certain spells of the match, we did very well. There were moments whereby we put Everton under pressure. And overall, we're the better team. And we deserve to win the game. Perhaps the scoreline was a bit flattering. Um, the scoreline was harsh on Everton, definitely, based on the performance they, they put out at Old Trafford. But... No one can deny that Man United deserved the victory and we deserved it very, very well. So, um, individually, I think the Gia did all right, although that mistake was terrible. And um, I hope we don't see more of those mistakes um, for the rest of the season because we have a fan base and we have a media that thrives on these errors. Okay, um, the Gia has been excellent for Manchester United this season. He has been outstanding. He has been one of our best players since he joined this club. Definitely in the last five years, he's been one of our best players. And he has been carrying this club for years, you know. He has had his struggles. He had that period, one or two years, whereby he wasn't at his best, where he made so many mistakes. Where he made, well, I won't say so many mistakes, but he made a couple of glaring errors. And I think DJ has that error in him. You can't take it away. Um, it's just like um, what's the name of this goalkeeper? This former England goalkeeper. Um, I can't recall his name. Who was actually very good, um, but had this um, uh, error in him. He has these moments of badness. David James. Yeah, I remember David James. He used to. He used. He was England number one for a couple of years, and he did very well for England and even at club level for Manchester City for Everton, um, Liverpool, and so many other teams in England. Um, and But he had this moment of madness, Portsmouth, not Everton, like Portsmouth. So he had this moment of madness once in a while, where he made clangers and blunders, you know, that gave the position opportunities to score and maybe put the team in jeopardy, you know. So 
So we have goalkeepers like that, and Allison, Allison Becker of Liverpool, and some other goalkeepers who Goloris, they make mistakes as well, but theirs don't get as highlighted as David De Gea's. Probably because David De Gea is not as good as his feet, um, uh, good with his feet rather, like Hugo Lloris and Allison, and that's why he's getting all this stick from my United fans, especially. Uh, my United fans want, um, quote and unquote, a modern goalkeeper that is good with his feet, you know, ball distribution and all that. And I think De Gea, to a very large extent, has improved on that department with his feet. His distribution, he has been very good this season. He's not going to, he may never be like a goalkeeper like Allison, um, Hugo Lloris, or a Ramsdale, or any of these top goalkeepers who are very good with their feet. He may never get to that level, but he has, I think he is doing enough, um, in my opinion, uh, to remain, uh, to remain. My United number one, and as long as he is, is, um, is a player for Manchester United, I think he should remain our number one. Again, the goalkeeping problem or goalkeeping position or department is not our is not our biggest weakness. Our biggest weaknesses have always been the defensive midfield, which has been addressed by Casemiro's um, arrival at Old Trafford. The central defense pairing of Maguire Lindelof, which has been addressed by Varane and Martinez. And now we have a new problem. Um, Ronaldo is gone, and Tony Marshall remains uh, our only out and out striker. We need a replacement, and we need to get a replacement. Otherwise, we are one injury away from becoming, um, one or two injuries away from becoming. Um, what we were last season, struggling to get goals and being poor in finishing, no end product or clean of games, things like that. So, uh, I think that the attack on David De Gea are, are unjustified, really. It's just one mistake. I think this is his major mistake um, since the Brentford or Brighton games that has led to defeat. There's nothing, he, he couldn't do anything against City or Aston Villa, you know, but he could identify um, errors he made against Brighton and against um, Brentford. And you could argue those were the first two games of the season. And so you, you could argue that he's a bit rusty and all that. So I think United fans should cut the just some slack, you know. Even if you get a modern goalkeeper, if the defense is shit, and your goalkeeper will go to concede a lot of goals. And I don't see who they want to, I don't see who we are going to buy, which outstanding goalkeeper that we are going to buy right now that will be our number one. It's going to be Tom Heaton or Jack Butland, who recently signed for Man United, or Dean Henderson. And Dean Henderson, we have seen. He's not as when he's when he plays for Manchester United and he meets teams that cut our defense open. Dean Henderson is like any other goalkeeper, helpless. I'm sure you guys remembered our performance against Liverpool two seasons ago with his poor positioning for and a supposedly elite goalkeeper. 
His positioning for Salah's goal was terrible. Poor defending. He just allowed. He just literally showed Salah where to place the ball, and Salah took it. On the, it was just ridiculous. Maybe not as bad as Dijas' mistake uh, last night, but you know. Dean Henderson is not the goalkeeper um, to replace Dijia in the long term. Um, so anybody who is trying to push a David Dijia agenda in order to influence opinion so that you can get an Englishman to be Man United's first choice goalkeeper is just wasting his time. I think those who really watch Dijia and those uh, who make decisions, Ten Hag and Co, know that Dijia is an outstanding goalkeeper and his improvement this season has been massive in terms of um, holding up the ball or um, passing the ball and distributing. You know, so I think people should stop this agenda, but people will not stop until the next mistake comes. Anyway, um, the defense line, um, I think Malasha did all right. Um, and again, I'm worried that Malasha has not. I think Malaysia defensively is is like I can is like Juan Bissaka. Defensively, he's good. He's he, he knows how to tackle. He's, he loves the tackle, and he can defend very well. But he's not good. He's not that good going forward. I think um, Lukshore is mouse, shoulder, head and shoulders above Malaysia um, in terms of going forward. And Lukshore clearly is our number one choice left back, no doubt about it. We only worry about Lukcho's fitness issues. At any point in time, Lukcho could get injured. But I think Malaysia is a good backup for Lukcho. Um, it would be nice to see Malaysia having a few crosses, a few crosses into the yard box. Then again, if you have to look at who he is crossing to, who is he crossing to? Atomi Malaysia has been poor aerially since he returned uh, from injury. And against Bournemouth, he had two good chances to score with his head, but he failed to connect properly and he get the balls on target. You know, even against Wolves, he had a good opportunity to score with his head. He he fluffed his lines, and Anthony was offside when he tried to score with his head as well. So I think um, uh, that's another probably another reason why. Our fullbacks deal with a lot, and Manasha don't like crossing into the box. But again, we see Bruno Fernandes and Rashford and Anthony making crosses into the box. So you wonder why our fullbacks are not doing the same as well. So I think there's a problem with our fullbacks. Dalot, too, I think he's doing, he did okay in this game as well, but he didn't put too many crosses into the box. and. Defensively, they've been good. Going forward, Dalot is also very good. But I feel that he tends to like to pass than to give a good cross. Maybe because we don't have a good and proper target man. Maybe. Hopefully, when we sign a target man, hopefully Victor Simon in the summer, and then maybe, maybe, just maybe, we will see more crosses from the fullbacks. You know? So I think the fullbacks did okay. Um, reasonably okay. Um, the center defenders, Varan, I think, too, did okay. Um, 
there were a few nervy moments um, from Everton, especially on the break, which is understandable. Um, he and Luke Shaw have been very good. Um, that the differences pairing of Varane and Luke Shaw have been very good in the last couple of games um, together. But I, I think it's for games that you would expect Manchester United to win. I think Luke Shaw is an option for Eric Ten Hag um, in central defence if Martinez is being given a rest or is not fit off or suspended or anything. Um, but in the serious and big games, I don't think you would expect... I, I think Martinez should just be Varane's partner uh, in central defence. Martinez is more assured on the ball, much better. Miles ahead of Luke Shaw in the left central back position and he came on um, at some point in the game and did very well as well um, uh, Lissandro Martinez so nice one for Martinez um, Maguire came on um, I think he was poor uh, I have to say his first two passes uh, were wasteful misplaced passes um, I don't think he really got involved in the game so um, but you can't blame Maguire. He has lost his place in Manchester United, and rightly so, because um, Varane and Isadou Martinez are obviously the first choice pairing, and they're very good. And when Varane is not available, Martinez and Lindelof have been also very good as a partnership. So I can understand why Maguire may be struggling to get into the games um, or making an impact as a sub, but. It is what it is. He's had his chance for years to cement his place in Man United defence and he took his captaincy for granted. Now, Eric Ten Hag has seen, and the, I think Eric Ten Hag has watched Man United games in the past and see the problem of Harry Maguire. And after giving him the benefit of the doubt this season and the losses against Brentford and Brighton, um, Eric Ten Hag has decided that enough is enough. Um, from Harry Maguire, he will never be what a central defense pairing should be, you know. So he has opted to go for Varane, who is clearly better than Harry Maguire, and Lisandro Martinez, who is signed from Ajax, you know, to shore up our defense. And you guys know I was skeptical about Lisandro Martinez when he came, especially after that hammering by bon, um, by Brentford at the start of the season. But he has played himself into the uh, into the starting lineup and has shown that he is actually very, very, very good. As I said before, that regardless of his height, so there's no question our best centre defence or our best defensive unit is Dalot, Varane. Lissandro Martinez and Luke Shaw. I think those are first choice back four. Any other thing is back up and cover for those four people. You know. In the midfield, Casemiro again did very well. Casemiro has been outstanding since the World Cup. He has been outstanding uh, since the league resumed. He's been doing very well against Bali, who was in central defence. He did outstanding. Um, he was outstanding. And he has been playing against Nottingham Forest, Wolves, and Bournemouth. He was he was very very good. I think he also won man of the match against Bournemouth or so. So 
Casemiro has been outstanding and he's been a breath of fresh air for my United. He has fixed our defensive metric problems. You can see when he tackles, he's looking at releasing the ball very quickly. Something you will never see McTominay or Fred doing. And it's amazing uh, how that one signing has transformed my United midfield. And he's our only natural defensive midfielder. We don't have cover for him. So McTominay or Fred are probably the alternatives to Casemiro, but we need a natural defensive midfielder to Casemiro. I mean, like Casemiro, who will be a backup of cover. That is how big teams operate. But we tend to love our favorites and keep them and try to show on other players to cover for them when they are not available. But I don't think that is sustainable in the long term. So I think we need another defensive midfielder, probably younger and an understudy, who has potential to replace Casemiro when he gets older. Casemiro is already 30 and probably has two to three, four years max to play at the highest level. Then you need to see diminishing returns in his performances. You know, we have already seen the errors and the misplaced passes in his game when he's supposed to be at his peak. Imagine what happens if he's 35 years old and, you know, when he's not at his best anymore, it becomes a problem. So, that is what I think about um, Casemiro. So, but for now, he's been outstanding for Manchester United and one of my favorite players, you know. I'm glad we signed him and I hope we can get Frank De Young in the summer. Um, Frankie De Young, a Frankie De Young Casemiro midfield will be literally unstoppable, you know. So, and that will kick uh, players like Bruno up the backside because Bruno will be in direct competition with Christian Eriksen. And, you know, Eriksen Ha loves Christian Eriksen and probably will get um, the nod above Bruno Fernandes. That means Fernandes will have to begin to look for positions on the wings, which is not exactly his best positions. So, Bruno should, um, if we're able to sign somebody like Frankie the Young in the summer to play alongside Casemiro in midfield, we will dominate the midfield easily against many of these modest teams and unlock defenses as well. Because those players know how to hold on to the ball, play simple passes, and unlock defenses. You know, that would be an ideal situation for Manchester United. I hope. The Glazers sell the club to some oil magnets somewhere in, in the Middle East and, you know, will buy the players that will not be negotiating or penny-pinching. will go for the best and grab them, pay premium prices for premium players and start winning trophies again. I bet you will get players like Frankie De Jong to Manchester United in the midfield with Casemiro. And with Eric Sin or Bruno in attacking midfield, will be unstoppable, really. We'll be we'll, we'll easily dispatch teams and defeat teams and even give teams like Manchester City and Liverpool a run for the money in the big games. We will not approach those games like an underdog, but go toe-to-toe with them and even defeat them in their own game, you know? That's what I think. Anyways, um, Eric Sin, again, I think he had an average game, didn't do too much wrong. Um, but he, I feel that in a midfield battle, my United will be weakened or will be weak or weaker if Ericsson is playing. We need somebody who will 
engaging the military battle with Casemiro against teams like Manchester City and Arsenal, which are our next two games in the Premier League. We can't afford to lose those two games. Personally, I want those two games out of the way because I think those are the teams that can defeat Manchester United. And I don't want us to lose those two games back to back. I think we can get a draw against City and beat Arsenal if we are solid in the defence. Um, Arsenal don't have Jesus and if they don't sign Mudrik, I think we have a chance if we are defensively compact and we utilise the ball when we get it very well. That's what I feel. I think we can beat Arsenal. Um, not by many goals, maybe by a long goal, maybe by two goals to one or something. But I think we can defeat Arsenal. I'm more confident taking on Arsenal and taking on Manchester City, irrespective of where they are. Because I think Manchester City are miles, miles, miles ahead of us. And I think because they have a superior midfield, um, they will easily create chances for for Erling Haaland. And Erling Haaland doesn't need too many chances to grab goals. So if they create three or four chances for Erling Haaland against Man United, they will probably take two of them minimum. And because it's very he's that ruthless. So I don't expect us to defeat Manchester City. If we get a draw, I'll be delighted. If we get a win, I'll be over the moon. And um, that is it basically. Um, in the attack, Anthony grabbed his first goal since his goal against Everton in the Premier League. Um, I'm happy that he did well. Uh, I mean, I'm happy he scored that goal. I'm also happy that overall he did better than he has been doing in the last couple of weeks or last couple of days for Manchester United. He has been poor, really. And I'm happy he put in a better performance. And defensively, he tracks back and helps Diego Dalot. So um, I think he did okay today. Hopefully, he will do much better. But my only problem with Anthony is one, he's one dimensional, he's easy to to decipher and he's obviously his right foot is obviously useless and um, because of his one dimension he's easy to mark and frustrate and win the ball off of um, win the ball off. Okay. Um He's also not very, very fast with the ball. He doesn't have pace. So it's, it's a big problem. He can't take on defenders, uh, put pressure on them, unlike Rashford or Ganacho or even Elanga. He can't take players on. So he cuts in and, you know, he will not score every time you're able to successfully cut in and shoot or cross. But he grabbed the goal today, smart goal. He stretched and tapped into an empty net. Excellent go from him with good work on Marcus Rashford on the left wing. So I'm happy with his performance today because if you compare with previous performances, he has been terrible. But his performance today was quite good and I'm happy about that. Um, Marshall also had a good game in my opinion. He had all played very well. Um, had some attempts on goal, but um, I think he, uh, Marshall needs to work on his shooting and on his finishing. He really needs to. His goal against Bournemouth was just um, a sloppy mistake from the goalkeeper who should be saving the shot he played. It was too straight at the keeper, but the keeper was sloppy and he let the ball to trickle past him. And he's not been placing his shot. They've always been straight towards the keeper. So I don't know what is wrong with Marshall in that regard. But every other thing, his hold up play, 
um, have been very good. His passing and his runs have also been very, very good. But he needs to be clinical, more clinical in his finishing. And of course, there's this is injury proneness. Um, we cannot depend on Anthony Marshall, which is very clear. He's not scoring regularly and is injury prone. So we need another backup striker. And of course, we've been linked with many. We've been linked with Memphis Depay. We've been, we've been linked to Joao Felix. We were linked to Cody Gakpo, which eventually, uh, who eventually joined Liverpool. So we've now been linked with Vincent Abubakar. We've been linked with Chupomoting. Um, um, so we've been linked with several players. Whoever we get, I think will do a job for Manchester United in the short term because Marshall cannot be trusted. And maybe that is what Marshall needs to get his head back into the game because it appears he's an automatic starter at the moment. So maybe it is not um maybe he's not feeling threatened until somebody comes. I'm sure by the time we make a sign, Marshall will start scoring much more regularly, you know. So but we need a striker. We really need a striker, and I hope we get one uh, before the transfer window closes. My um, United um, tend to drag or for dragging deals whereby um, big players are involved. Uh, the Jack Butland deal was quite swift. Within 24 hours, the deal was done, and that's because Christopher don't want Jack Butland. And, you know, he's a second choice goalkeeper for Crystal Palace anyway. So it was easy for Man United to get the deal done. But um, for a striker, strikers are at a premium. And Joe Felix, um, Man United is monitoring his situation at Atletico Madrid. The reports say that he wants to leave and Atletico are willing to let him go on loan. So it is now how much the loan is going to cost that is the stumbling block for. Manchester United and Arsenal as well. So, if we get Joel Felix, that's fine. As long as we get bodies here, right now we need bodies in the attack because, apart from if anything happens to Anthony, Anthony Marshall, and and um, Marcus Rashford, the whole team is in a shambles and the whole team is in deep, deep. I don't want to use the word shit. We'll get into deep troubles or deep waters if um, injury befalls players like Rashford or Marshall. We are quite very light. Jude Sancho, I don't know what is wrong with him. Um, he's been training on his own and I don't know when he's going to return. I don't know what, whether he is suffering from mental health issues or what kind of situation will warrant a player to be training on his own. I don't know what his problem is. You know, we need all our top players to be available. Donny van der Beek is out, and the rumors suggest that he's, he'll be out for the rest of the season. You know, which is bad news. He's not had much breaks. He's been injured. When he's been fit, he doesn't get called up. Now that Ten Hag is giving him game time, one silly tackle from a Boomer player has put him in the dressing room. I mean, on the doctor's table. I might be out for close to a year, if not more. So, it's all unfortunate for Manchester United. As regards Donovan Van de Beek and the injuries 
um, that might happen um, if we don't get attackers in. I think we need a striker and we need a midfielder that can do a job in midfield that can you know be a midfield general a box-to-box midfielder when Casemiro is not there we don't feel his impact I mean his absence you know when Casemiro was substituted in the Everton game we felt his absence it was clear even though Fred didn't do a bad job Fred actually did well for the period he was there but there's a golfing class between him and uh, Casemiro you know Fred can't do the job Casemiro does Fred is tenacious tackles um, he tries to intercept and you know he's energetic and that is why he came up for Casemiro but he's not Casemiro I cannot do what Casemiro does you know so um, Marcus Rashford again was outstanding and in this game he has been on fire um, he has I think goes in all competitions six assists uh, he's been great for Manchester United and uh, this season and I hope it continues for many, many years to come. And as for this season, I hope his form continues to the end of the season. He has been very good. And um, he is not world-class by any means, but he's a very, very good player. And he can get world-class status if he can continue this form for the next two, three years without going on long runs in with a poor form. That's my take on... Um, Marcus Rashford, again, good penalty from him, two assists in this game. In not competitions, he has six assists, which is magnificent for Marcus Rashford, who at this time last year was having a stinker, you know. So, it's wonderful, uh, the transformation of Rashford. Hopefully, um, it will continue. Um, Ganacho came in as a sub as well, and he was quite good. He won the penalty that helped to seal the victory over... Um, Everton is is a good impact player if you ask me and much better than Elanga is at the moment so it's a good option to have on your bench Um, so I think I'm not missing out on anybody McTominay um, I think he was okay he didn't do bad he didn't do great and all the other players who came on I think you could see the same for them they didn't do too badly and they didn't do too great either so that's my take on the Manchester United game with Everton. We deserved our victory, and I'm I'm sure my United fans all over the world are happy with that victory. We are going to enjoy the weekend. On Tuesday, we take on Charlton Athletic in the Carabao Cup quarter-final. Hopefully, we are going to beat them and get into the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup. Then the next game will be against Manchester City, where our credentials on how serious we are and how far we've come under Ten Hag will be seriously tested. If we pass the test against Arsenal and Manchester City in flying colours, then it is fair to see that we are in a title race. But I have this feeling that this poor performance we've been seeing in these last two, three games is a sign of what to come against City. And City will probably get the result um, they need, you know, in the game uh, with Manchester United at Old Trafford next Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Um, great uh, GMT so um, for now I look forward to the game against Charlton and expect that there will be another set of rotation uh, from Eric Ten Hag but I still expect us to win 
hopefully our players will be fit and I also hope that Donny van der Beek's injury will not be as terrible as it appears to be. Um, I also hope that we are able to sign Joel Felix as quickly as possible or any striker at Memphis Depay or anybody for that matter. I hope we are able to sign them and get them integrated into the club and hit the ground running. We need strength in depth to be able to keep up with the number of games that we have to play um, this um, year or this season. Um, we have the Carabao Cup next week. We have the Premier League games coming up. In February, we'll have the Europa League coming up again. We have to take on Barcelona. Then if we keep on progressing, we have to play several rounds to get to the final. So, it's um, there's a lot of games we might interested in to play. Not exclusive of the Premier League or the FA Cup. So, hopefully, uh, we can get players who can show up the team help the team to you know try win one or two trophies this season i know we can't win four trophies this season but if we can win one or two of these trophies that um competitions that we are currently challenging then that will not be bad my United is all about winning trophies and we don't want any in the last five years we need to end this now so good luck to manchester united i wish them the best next week it's good to be back on this show hopefully uh, the podcast will not be interrupted anymore for the rest of this year or until the season ends. So next week Tuesday, hopefully I'll be with you or you know, next week after the game, next week Tuesday I'll be with you with another podcast analyzing and discussing uh, our performance with um, Charlton Athletic in the Carabao Cup. This podcast has been about talking about several things that have um set out several talking points um, about Frank Lampard or Manchester United as a whole and I've not really gone to detail against this ever again because this is the first podcast in a while um, so I'm just trying to catch up in terms of um, our performances uh, I think we did very well against Wolves it was a difficult game but we did well to win that game very good by Marcus Rashford against Bournemouth I think we did well but we considered too many chances to bomb out. And that's probably partly because of the central defense pairing. It's our old um, first choice, um, Maguire and Lindelof, and uh, Bookshaw and Wambisaka at full backs. Um, they've always been shaky, and it's not, an, it's, not, it's not surprising that they considered too many chances to bomb out. But against Burnley, against Nottingham Forest, and who else? I think um, we did very well um, in those games. Burnley, Nottingham Forest. Um, I think we did very well in those games. You know, without conceding any goal. And um, I hope our winning run continues against Charlton. And I hope against City we pull a surprise or at least get a result. So thank you all for listening. I appreciate you for taking our time to listen to this podcast. Obviously, this podcast has dragged for a long time. Next week, I promise it won't be as long as this. It will probably be a fraction of this time frame. So enjoy your weekend, my United fans and Unitrust out there. Thank you so much. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.